The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, May 5th. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Lisa Lundy. Lisa Lundy is the author of the Super Allergy Girl Allergy and Celiac Cookbook from a Mother Who Knows. Her gluten-free, dairy-free, and allergen-free cookbook is designed to help people with a variety of health issues and is based on years of practical baking and culinary expertise and the motivation to have fantastic foods for her own three food allergy children. Lisa has taught gluten-free, dairy-free, and allergen-free baking classes in the Western New York community and consulted with bakeries and restaurants in New York City, Western New York State, and New Jersey. She has been involved with the Western New York celiac and autism communities for many years. Lisa's third child, Anne, was premature and had severe allergies, but instead of being destined to a life of profound disability, Lisa's daughter avoided a host of serious health issues due to the interventions Lisa and her husband have used. They've moved Anne forward from having no immune system and being severely malnourished due to a malabsorption problem to a child whose future looks bright. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Terry. Well, Lisa, most people in our generation grew up and went about their lives pretty much eating what they wanted. How did you come to focus on food allergies for yourself and your family? Oh, what, a, what a great question, Terry. Uh, for me, I started my childhood being highly allergic, not to food per se, but to environmental allergies such that I had to get allergy shots at, starting at 18 months that went up through 18 years. And this was back in the day where they didn't really give allergy shots to infants. They still don't typically do that for young children. So I had a very strong history for environmental allergens and probably around 10 or 12 discovered that if I ate tree nuts, my mouth would itch so wildly it was extremely unpleasant. Then from having that personal background when I had my first son, he was breastfed until 11 months and when I started to wean him, the pediatrician had suggested cow's milk which gave him diarrhea, and, you know, we kind of got into it with my first son and his physical reactions. All right. Now, you were able to notice these things, but can people have food allergies and related cognitive, behavioral, or physical effects without realizing it? Oh, Terry, absolutely. And I think when we talk about uh, the society that we live in, most people are not aware of, A, the ways that food can impact their physical health, their mental health, their emotional, and their cognitive processing. 
But, Terry, if we go back over 2,500 years, Hippocrates, who's considered the, he's the Greek physician who's considered to be the father of medicine, Hippocrates wrote extensively about food and the impact food had on people's health and well-being at that time over 2,500 years ago. And Hippocrates wrote as a physician that food for some people would actually be injurious. In other words, food for some would actually injure them. So this has been a long-standing conversation about how food can impact your health that was probably wider over 100 years ago and kind of got a little bit smaller as we got more technology and transportation and people got busier. Is there any sort of one-to-one correspondence between uh, deficiencies in the diet or allergies and symptoms? Uh, that is an outstanding question, and I think that's the unf- the answer is no. Unfortunately, there's not, and that's what makes the looking at food and your health and well-being kind of a slippery slope. It's just not as easy to say if everybody took out eggs or everybody took out milk or gluten or dairy, you know, any number of foods. So there's not a one-to-one correspondence. In fact, if we looked at one food, either gluten or dairy, say, for example, that can give people constipation or diarrhea. So you could have any number of symptoms from one specific food. Mm. Well, I know for uh, for my son, uh, in a particular case, at one time he was able uh, to eat uh, a, I'll say, legal uh, cheese, aged uh, goat cheddar cheese that's mm-hmm. legal on a particular diet. At one time he was able to eat that, but then uh, later on, if he just got that into his mouth, you know, he was on the floor, right? Uh, you know, uh, terribly upset. So, but you don't always see or notice those kinds of cause and effect relationships. Well, no, but that's you're bringing up kind of a little bit of a different path on that. My son, my second child, who's actually diagnosed with celiac disease, he was very problematic in feeding as an infant, and he was a nursing baby. And when I ate a meal that was high in wheat, oats, barley, rye, milk, the gluten family and dairy with eggs thrown in, he would cry for six hours. This was a normally extremely happy baby, hardly even cried if he had to change his diaper. I mean, it was just the best temperament you could really get in a baby. So when he did cry the very first time I ate a meal, meal that was high in gluten, I had to pause and think, why would he be crying and pulling up his legs and arching his back? And we did repeat that meal two weeks later with the same result. But my son Noah, he was able to tolerate rice. But after being on the gluten-free diet for a year and a half, he developed a sensitivity to rice. So it wasn't obvious right away very, you know, within a period of weeks uh, after he had developed the sensitivity, I really came to to find out that it was rice because he really was, that was the mainstay of his diet. So that's another complicating factor is that a food that's good for someone today might not work for them in a period of two or four years or any number of periods. And that kind of drives into the issue of, you know, developing sensitivities and developing food allergies, that's something that changes for people based on their, their first, the first concept is 
how, what propensity does someone have to develop a food issue. Some people have a very low tendency or propensity to ever develop a food issue. Then you take someone who already has one or more existing either food allergies or food sensitivities or intolerances, they typically have a higher incidence or a higher propensity for developing food allergies. So there's, and then you throw in the, the additional factor of how often and how much a food is consumed. Those are kind of all the factors that, you know, make it a state of flux where, you know, if you don't eat something every day or you don't eat something a lot, and you don't have a tendency. I mean, there's plenty of people in this country that don't have the tendency or propensity to develop food issues, and there are equally as many who have some already existing food issue. They simply typically have a higher likelihood. So there's all kinds of factors that kind of muddy up the waters and, you know, make it more difficult for people to figure out. But given that, it's still quite possible for people to figure out what are the underlying issues and actually use their food and diet to return to a state of good health. We're going to get into rotation diets in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I know for my son, uh, he was able to, he's allergic to peanuts, but he was able to eat almonds for a little while. But then eventually, after eating uh, more and more almonds, he turned beet red. And mm-hmm. we figured out it was the almonds mm-hmm. and had to take them out of the diet. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, too, Lisa, um, could the fact that somebody seems more predisposed to be allergic to a greater variety of foods have anything to do with the fact that their their gut is impaired, their gut is hyperpermeable because then more things will go through their gut wall and into their bloodstream and reach their brain not digested properly? Well, a- absolutely, Terry. I mean, the whole issue of absorption and nutrition, you know, people, most people, a lot of people don't understand that. Your vitamins, the foods that you consume, the vitamins and minerals that are in your foods and essential fatty acids and the other components that your body requires, the absorption actually happens you know, in your intestines and in your gut. So, for example, people who have celiac disease who aren't diagnosed yet, their villi, the little hair-like projections in the intestine, will either flatten, disappear, erode, or become damaged that then impairs their ability to absorb vitamins and nutrients. So it's a, it's a very, uh, it's not a new idea about absorption, malabsorption, leaky gut, but it's becoming more commonplace. People are starting to understand you are what you eat, and things like absorption really can impact uh, your state of health. In fact, when we talk about celiac disease, how some people in this country get diagnosed with celiac disease is they have someone who does really good blood work. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about laboratory testing when we come back from break on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Lisa Lundy. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten-Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virustop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Well, before the break, Lundy, who is the author of the Super Allergy Girl Allergy and Celiac Cookbook from A Mother Who Knows, was beginning to get into the area of testing. And Lisa, are there objective laboratory tests for immediate and delayed allergies? Yes. Yes, Terry, there are. And I think for your listeners, what might be helpful to distinguish at this point uh, in the conversation for people who are new to the whole food allergies and delayed allergies would just be some good terminology before we actually uh, all address then the question, which is really about the testing. Food allergies that could be life-threatening or cause death are typically referred to as IgE allergies. That's capital I, lowercase g, capital E. <clears throat> that w- would be the type of food issue that presents itself with a fairly immediate reaction within an hour to two hours. I mean, the range is a little nebulous. But, and that is, be, could be a runny nose, watery eyes, a tightening in the throat, closing of the, of the throat. And that represents 5 to 10% of all of the food allergies, you know, in the, in the terms of a human being's food allergy level. So it's a 5 to 10% of all of the allergy load 
is anaphylactic. That's the other terminology they use is life-threatening, anaphylactic, or IgE. The balance of food allergies typically are referred to as either non-IgE-mediated or they're referred to as food sensitivities or food intolerances. Now, that is 90 to 95%. So there's a there's two distinctions we want the listeners to have some facility with. And one is if it's a if it's an immediate reaction within, you know, a shorter period of time of eating a food, you know, one to two hours, it could be up to four, but you know, typically it's within a short period of time and there's any tightening of the throat, tickling in your mouth, uh, no, you know, nose, watery eyes, that is absolutely something that people should take serious because a, an IgE or life-threatening or anaphylactic food allergy could go from a tickle in the throat or a tightening in the throat to uh, a, a deadly experience, and there's not a predictable nature for that. So it can go from one, it's, you know, very uncomfortable or you feel like it's a little hard to to swallow to you being in the hospital or maybe not being alive. Now, on the laboratory testing for this whole category of IgE or food, you know, anaphylactic reactions, the testing for that is, is there is blood testing done available, widely available. It's very accurate. It's extremely reliable and it's very safe. So as far as laboratory tests for high levels of allergenicity for IgE, the laboratory tests are widely available, very safe, accurate. They've been done for decades. And even pediatricians or general practitioners can write for those kinds of laboratory testing. When we talk about the blood testing or the laboratory testing available for the less deadly, you know, the non-life-threatening or the non-IgE-mediated food allergies or food sensitivities or intolerances, the blood work there is not as, it's not that it's not as reliable, it's not as um, helpful. Well, it's helpful. It's really basically, I think, when people do the food sensitivity or the non-IgE testing, you want to use it as a tool. Now, because I say that uh, 10 years ago or 9 years ago when my son was tested for uh, food sensitivities, he came back that, you know, milk wasn't a very big problem. Milk in the real world of any quantity of any proportion would send him through the roof. I mean, I could have told you if he had less than a tablespoon, less than a teaspoon in his behavior and the body symptoms that it produced in him, primarily at that point, uh, for milk, it was his disposition. He would become from Mr. Lovable, happy-go-lucky, sweet little boy to somebody who really wasn't very nice. Now, as he's gotten older, he's now going to be turning 10, what he was able to distinguish several years ago is when he has milk, it upsets his stomach and he doesn't feel good. So, of course, he's not nice. When you don't feel good, you're typically not very nice to other people. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I developed um, some sort of a gut issue from taking antibiotics and I had um, uh, some pretty severe symptoms for uh, a few weeks after the antibiotics, but then later on, uh, you know, things kind of stabilized and then later on I 
I had some soy. I started drinking some soy milk. Mm-hmm. And it just pushed me over the edge into colitis, it seemed like. And I was having, you know, gut symptoms I thought would never go away. And I felt like banging my head into a wall. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, this must be what the kids feel like. Yeah. You know, they they have these gut symptoms and this discomfort. And no wonder, you know, they are having certain behaviors. Mm-hmm. Well, it is it is interesting because my, you know, not only do I have a history of allergies and have three children, but my aunt, my father's sister, was a highly, highly allergic baby, you know, however many years ago, back in the early days. And, you know, her, my grandmother recognized and, you know, took eggs out and took dairy out and took different foods out. But, you know, when people start to begin to get a sense and start to actually look, if they're an adult, if they're looking at their own diet or if they're looking at their children, you know, I mean, most children, given a proper environment, having food to sustain themselves and having, you know, things that you need, your basic needs met, most children are not you know, high maintenance and difficult to handle. But a food, you know, sensitivity or a food, you know, reaction or, or even additives and preservatives can cause, a, you know, a switch to go off. And one of the things that um, we didn't talk about at this point, but I do want to mention, is that, you know, when you look at the history of food allergies, when Hippocrates wrote about food being something that could actually injure people, he, he didn't know at that time what we know, you know, 2,500 years later, which is gluten, which is, a pro, which is a substance found in wheat, oats, barley, and rye, and other flours and other grains, that gluten actually crosses the blood-brain barrier into the brain. Mm. So the blood-brain barrier is, is there to keep things out of the human brain. So Hippocrates, when he wrote about health issues, and he wrote very specifically that food could cause depression, and food, which they didn't call depression back in his day. His writings, they used the word melancholy. Mm-hmm. So Hippocrates' writings, and I actually have a free downloadable paper on the history of food allergies on my website because it's so complex. I mean, it's just not complex. It's so fascinating to see all the things that he wrote about and the physicians since Hippocrates moving forward when they didn't have the technology. So Hippocrates didn't know that gluten could actually cross the blood-brain barrier into the brain. Now, to have everyone understand the significance of that, 98% of the pharmaceutical drugs we have on the market today cannot accomplish that. They cannot cross the blood-brain barrier into the brain. So how that manifests in some people is it doesn't all manifest the same. You know, I, my oldest son, if he has gluten, it's almost as if he's he's in a fog. He has said in the past he can't think very clearly. And what becomes obvious if I ask him to go close his bedroom door or go down and get something from the basement, he'll walk away and come back and say, what, what, what was I supposed to be doing? You know, it, it impacts his cognitive functioning in a very dramatic way. So, but that's like now we have the technology or more technology than ever before to understand there's actually some mechanics to this. Wow, how fascinating. Well, anyone out there uh, in the main, in a mainstream practice who doesn't believe that uh, food can affect cognition and behavior has obviously never downed a fifth of vodka. 
So uh, <laughs> let's talk more about Anne. We didn't really talk a lot about Anne earlier. Yeah. Oh, that that's that's great. I, you know, I think um, I don't know if you wanted to ask a specific question or you just wanted to me give people a little bit more of a well. Uh, you wrote this this great resource, the Super Allergy Girl, Gluten Free, Casein Free, Nut Free Allergy and Celiac Cookbook from a Mother Who Knows, pretty much in Anne's honor because she's the Super Allergy Girl. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, she's certainly she's not going to take the she's not it's not going to take her 18 years to get over her allergies. We we know so much more, and uh, you know because of the fact that she's my third child. So I should back up and say that I've done a, an extraordinary amount of medical research. And what uh, what I learned was very unnerving, to say the least. If my daughter, Anne, was born to me as my first child or my second child, there's no question in my mind and the medical doctors who I've dealt with that she would not be alive today. It was exactly the fact that God is so gracious that I had my two boys first. So my first son, I learned a very superficial amount about food allergies and a nursing baby and lactose intolerance, et cetera. But with my second son, who would turn out by, by, you know, in short order, we would figure out that wheat, oats, barley, rye, the gluten family was absolutely a problem. Baby oatmeal would give him projectile vomit and eggs and dairy. All the things that we figured out with him would be the very things that helped me sustain Anne. Not that I did remarkably well. It depends on who you're talking to. If you talk to the physicians who've looked at her medical records and her current blood work, you know, they shake their heads and say, oh my gosh, this is a failure to thrive baby that, you know, is doing phenomenally. So the predictable nature for my daughter had I not known about <clears throat> these food issues, was very, uh, pretty, pretty seriously bad. And we can take that up in a, after the break. Okay, we'll pick up with that when we come back from break. Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And thank you to our sponsor, Medica. We'll be right back with Lisa Lundy. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. 
Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Hi, and we're back with Lisa Lundy, author of The Super Allergy Girl, Gluten-Free, Casing-Free, Nut-Free, Allergy, and Celiac Cookbook from a Mother Who Knows. Again, this is a really great resource guide. And um, Lisa, right before the break, you were talking about your third child, Anne, who is doing remarkably well, despite with what the doctors would have prophesied due to the interventions that you and your husband have done with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing with uh, my daughter, Anne, is, we were, I was talking about, by the grace of God, she wasn't my first or second child. And probably one of the first people outside of the physicians I was seeing to point out the, the severity and that it really was because of what I was doing that Anne was even with us at 18 months was a, uh, another cookbook author, Betty Hagman, who has since um, passed on. But Betty was a good friend of mine, a mentor, someone who I just love and love dearly and she and I would have uh, these long conversations as I would say okay Betty what else, what other foods could we be trying with this child because each new food I tried Anne would lose two to three ounces per small try you know sample of a new food so that there was a constant battle between um, what she could eat which was basically at one year of age Anne was only able to tolerate homemade tapioca breadsticks that I would make each day from scratch with no eggs and just a little bit of oil, uh, tapioca flour, and some baking powder. And then every third day we would try a new food and, you know, weighing her and just monitoring everything as I was calling around across the country to the largest medical institutions and talking to registered dietitians who were also registered nurses. I mean, I had an enormous network of people that I was tapping into, and it just took a long time to find someone who would make, you know, the issues seem, you know, very doable. And we, you know, did end up finding a treatment which was really required because I was not sure when Anne was 18 months old that she would actually make it to be two. Or, and then we got to two with a, found a treatment and whether she would make it to be three so she's gone from basically a modern-day bubble child, someone who couldn't go to the grocery store or be around other kids because her immune system was so severely suppressed because she lacked nutrition, to a child who can go places, who's doing remarkably well, and you know has a very bright future. She's not in a wheelchair. She is able to walk and talk. She's 
she, as best we can tell, she's not been brain damaged, although I do understand medically that some doctors would stand by the fact that she has to have been brain damaged based on her level of severe malnutrition and the length of time that she's had that issue. So it's really been a tremendous journey. I wouldn't wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I am very grateful because the things that I've learned from Anne are really applicable to so many other people who, you know, like that just want to have normal health. I mean, it's really applicable to all kinds of, of human beings and their health and well-being. Sure. That's a really interesting comment you made, Lisa. So to you, Anne doesn't seem like she has any manifestations of brain damage, yet the doctors say she must. Yes. Actually, Doris Rapp was one of the first people, oh, I don't know how many years ago, who said, Lisa, listen, you cannot have a child that has this level of malnutrition and not have a brain injury. But when Anne was four years old, we had early intervention come in to test her. She had, Anne had previously, from one to probably five, she had, because of her malnutrition, she had uh, delayed gross motor skills, 50% delayed. And as soon as we got her on high levels of vitamins, she was able to, you know, begin to make dramatic improvements in her gross motor skills. So when Anne was a year, early intervention told me she would not be walking at two, she would not be crawling at two, and based on what they were observing and based on what she was capable of doing, if she could get up on all fours and rock back and forth by age two, I should be very thankful and very happy. I wasn't very thankful or happy to hear them say that, and it was really basically unacceptable to me. So unbeknownst to me, in my experience, we were still looking for medical support at a year, found a doctor who put her on high high doses of, of vitamins, and then within a period of weeks, her uh, physical therapist said, you must be doing something. No one ever makes this kind of progress between visits. And I wasn't thinking of the vitamins, so I said, oh, no, no, I'm not doing anything. You know, you're just imagining it. She said, listen, I've done this for years, and this child, you're doing something different. Something's changed. Something's up. Something's, you know. And she was so insistent that I finally paused and thought about it. I said, well, we did start some vitamins last week. Well, Anne not only crawled, Anne was walking by 16 months. Wow. A full, you know, year plus beyond what they said she would ever possibly be able to do. And I'm very clear for myself, while I was paying attention and doing the carryover and the follow-up work between the physical therapy visits, you know, what do I know? I'm not a physical therapist. And I wasn't, you know, as rigorous as I could have even been, but it's simply the only thing that could explain the dramatic, you know, shift in her physical abilities was the fact that she was getting supplements. So early intervention tested her at four, and at four they brought the testing materials that would take her up to a six, six years of age. So when they tested her at four, she came up, two and above the six-year-old, but they didn't bring anything beyond a six-year-old because they didn't think a four-year-old would test beyond six. So so we don't know at what point. And I'm an assertion, I believe in miracles, I believe in the grace of God, it's a miracle she's even here, that she could she could actually not have sustained a brain injury, but when Dr. Rapp was saying this to me years ago, I said, listen, so what if she even did? Maybe she was a genius and now she's just smart. We're just happy she's here. So you feel that nutritional supplementation, supplements, 
acted as medicine. They did. It, it oh, so like ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, for most people, you know, your body is very much like your car. And I use a car analogy a lot when I speak because people understand cars. They may not understand their body at all, but they understand if they don't add oil to their car, if they don't change their oil, if they don't put gas in their car, they check their brake fluids, they check their antifreeze, people maintain their cars with a fair amount of diligence because cars are expensive. And for people, you know, when they make the transition to looking at their health, if they looked at their their body like a car and they would begin to understand, you're, you know, you put gas in your car, well, when you put food in your mouth, that's your gas. So are you using good gas or bad gas? And, you know, all of the things that go into maintaining your body. People know if you, don't, if you leave your car in your garage and never drive it for years, you're not going to be able to take it out of the garage and have it operate properly. Okay, so this is the Cheetos analogy of automobile maintenance. Yes. Okay, yes, I mean, it. there's just certain things. I mean, people really get their cars, but they don't get their bodies. Yeah. And so you know, I like to use a car analogy because even people who don't own cars get cars. Like, they know you have to maintain it. And and I think especially if we talk about, you know, nutrition, then I I have a, you know, in cancer, I mean, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of things that a car analogy is great for. But I do think that vitamins are especially important. And, you know, I don't know if we want to talk about uh, nutrition, malnutrition and malabsorption at this point because it seems like it might be an opportunity. But uh, we can come back to that or... Do you want to talk about the importance of uh, balanced nutrition? I think so. I think this would <coughs> be a good time for that. And how can you possibly have balanced nutrition when a person is faced with food allergies and special diets? And furthermore, what's the difference between malnutrition and malabsorption? Yeah. Well, these are all great questions. And I have to say, much to my, my glee and surprise and, and great joy, the conversation in the United States on this topic, you know, nutrition, particularly we'll just start with nutrition, has really grown and developed exponentially in the last four or five years. And I, and I want to give credit to Dr. Oz and Oprah because Dr. Oz was on Oprah a couple years ago, maybe only two, talking about the relationship between cancer and nutrition in a way that shocked me. Not because I didn't know it. I certainly knew what he was speaking about and knew it to be the case for my own medical research, it was just shocking for me to hear someone be so straight about the relationship between cancer and nutrition on national TV. So the first thing is, for anyone, let's, we're not, we're, we'll step aside, we're just going to talk about mainstream population, then we'll get to people with food allergies or who are on special diets. But for anyone who has, you know, a human body, there's a direct relationship or a relationship between the amount of nutrition your body takes in and whether or not you're going to be susceptible to cancer or other, you know, diseases and issues. So that conversation, it's now it's now showing up in AARP magazine, it's showing up in mainstream publications that the you know, nutrition is of extreme importance, particularly when it comes to cancer. So that conversation is growing and developing radically, I might add, and, and I'm very happy about that because it is important. So then if you say it's important for anyone, we really, what Dr. Oz and all these other scientists and physicians who are now 
speaking publicly about the importance of nutrition. Nutrition is important for anyone who has a human being body who wants to be healthy. That's kind of the baseline. Then we'll take someone who has food allergies or and or who is required to be on a special diet. For those people, nutrition is equally as important or you could assert more important because what happens when people have food allergies is typically they're missing some nutrients. For example, when my son was not even two, I said to the pediatrician, well, he's not getting any calcium because he can't have dairy. I mean, that's just, if I gave him dairy, you know, he would just not eat for 24 hours. And you can't have a, a young child not having an upset stomach so they don't eat every day. And on top of not being able to have dairy, which has calcium, most of the other things that had, were high in calcium were, were either foods that were bothersome to him or, you know, sardines. I mean, how many, you know, 18-month-old are going to eat enough sardines to get calcium? But this was not a conversation that the pediatrician really wanted to engage in. But when you have a food allergy that removes, you know, certain foods or you are on a special diet, then you want to make sure you have a good, you know, primary care practitioner or good medical support person to support you in, in supplementing what might be missing. Okay, and we'll continue with this when we come back with Lisa Lundy on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Lisa Lundy, and Lisa, before the break, we were talking. You started talking about special therapeutic diets and. Uh, what kind of nutrition you could possibly glean from those. I I had talked to my dear friend Betsy once, uh, Betsy Hicks. I had juxtaposed all of the special therapeutic diets, mm-hmm. and um, I said, Betsy, what's left to eat? 
mm-hmm. and she said kale. I said, no, kale's not allowed on the uh, low oxalate diet. So mm-hmm. she said water. I said, well, no, because, you know, there could be fluoride in that. So mm-hmm. what's left to eat? What happens if you're missing a key nutrient? Well, well, there are many people. I mean, you know, my kids are on a gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, peanut-free, tree nut-free, coconut-free <clears throat> diet to, to hit the high points. And they do receive supplements. I mean, if you're not getting calcium from, I mean, granted, you can have orange juice that has calcium supplement in it. But, you know, for many people, I mean, if, even for people who are not on special diets or don't have food allergies, if you look at some of the studies and statistics that have come out in the last five years, there are many people in the mainstream American population who are deficient in certain key nutrients. So that's not for people who have special diets. But then when you are in a special diet and you take out certain key things, like, you know, if you're taking out dairy, that's taking out calcium, vitamin D, you want to have a practitioner who's going to work with you, <clears throat> whether that's a nutritionist or, you know, your pediatrician or your primary care or somebody who is knowledgeable about, you know, the, the nutrients, what your body needs, and we'll make recommendations. So, and I think if we're talking about supplements per se, one of the things that I would like to, you know, add in this conversation is as of the 1930s in the United States, what the US Department of Agriculture and farmers and other people, you know, in the food industry knew in production in terms of producing food was as of the 1930s, <coughs> excuse me, all of the soil in the US was stripped of minerals. Mm-hmm. So, People in the United States, unless they're eating organic foods, in which case the farmers have added minerals back into the soil, people in the United States have not for decades had the ability to get minerals from their diet. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the issues that as a country, you know, if you know, I was the new food czar, I'd be saying, okay, look, all of the farming, we've got to put minerals back in the soil. Either that or let people know, look, you have to take a supplement that has minerals in it because you get minerals or certain things in the, the human body needs that you have to get from your diet or you have to get it from a supplement. You know, your body is able to make certain amino acids and it, I mean, your body can do a lot, but without key ingredients, you will ultimately get in trouble. So for people who are regular folks, you know, unless they're eating organic plants, vegetables, and fruits, in which case the minerals have been put back into the soil, so then the plants, when they grow, can take them up into them, and then you eat the plant, you, you need to have some supplementation to offset that. So then you have people on special diets. They need to have some medical counsel, some professional practitioner to give them the proper advice on what they may need to, to be eating. And, and there's also blood testing that you can take a look at, you know, what your levels are. So is there a difference between malnutrition and malabsorption? Like could you be taking in various things but still not utilizing them properly? And is there objective laboratory testing for this or what kind of supplementation you might need? Yes, I mean there, this is a this is an important area, and I I've been looking at this for several years with my daughter. So first of all, there's nutritional deficiencies where you just might not have a sufficient amount of calcium or an amino acid or some other component because your diet may be lacking it. Then what you want to look at <clears throat> from a blood work standpoint is over time. So if you have deficiencies 
you know, that would be you know, nutritional deficiencies, that you supplement with, that you are now, you know, correcting, and then in a year or in whatever period of time, your blood work doesn't show an improvement, that's when you really have to look at that you have an absorption issue. Because if you're calcium deficient and you're eating plenty of calcium, you're getting supplements or however you're getting your calcium, you are getting plenty of calcium and your blood work doesn't change, then it's a factor of, well, you're putting it in and it's not staying in, so you have some, an absorption issue. This has been one of the biggest problems we have had with my daughter is that uh, she has you know, a huge absorption problem, which we have been at work on. And for her, I mean, it actually left my daughter in a position of being at huge risk for getting either cancer or leukemia. And we started nutritional IV therapy because I was unwilling to have this severe level of malnutrition go on in the hopes that we'd eventually get it taken care of before she got cancer. So malabsorption issues are typically looked at, you know, from a medical standpoint over time. And it's really a combination of looking at, well, what have you been eating? What's in your diet? You know, what are your levels? And really the whole process, like when people take their car into a shop, they get hooked up to all, they took the car up to these electronic sensors that do the diagnostics to say, this is what's going on. And with the human body, you know, there's blood testing and laboratory tests, not necessarily all in network, that you can use to say, what's going on with the body? Are you, you know, are you absorbing fat that's in your diet? Are you, you know, are you absorbing things? Are you, were you, have you always been deficient? What are you eating? And really this is kind of like the whole puzzle piece that, you know, consumers along in harmony with a good, you know, licensed medical care practitioner can take a look at and, and go to work on and make great strides. Yeah, um, I found that, you know, at times when I've been working really intensively and have felt run down, uh, glutathione, vitamin C, IVs have been uh, tremendously helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we run out of time, and I'll let listeners know that Lisa and I are going to pick up with this conversation on May 26th, but, but before we run out of time, is this diet doable? When you're saying, is this diet, do you mean the gluten-free, casein-free diet? Mm, no, I mean... What if parents are feeling intimidated right now when we're going to, again, talk more about the mechanics of actually um, implementing special diets when yes. they come back, but just in the interest of time right now yeah. and encouragement and hope. And if you have children who are have multiple food sensitivities, yes, is a special diet doable? I would absolutely say yes, it's not only doable, but you can, you know, I'm a working mother and doing the diet. And, you know, there's lots of things where people wear things, resources that will make it easier for people. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's age-old things people used back in the 50s, which was called a freezer. You know, you'd make two meals at once and freeze them. There's using proven recipes. And what I've put on my website is free downloadable recipes, free downloadable documents, free baking videos, all to help people because I know that it's not easy when you start, but it is very doable. This book actually has, and I have this book in front of me, so if everybody would just bear with me for a minute here. Let's see. I have recipes beginning at page 137 and going all the way to 300. 
sixty-ish or so. Yeah, or, yeah, three hundred fifty-seven or, or so. So lots and lots of recipes and resources in here as well. Yes, but if someone was going to think about you know starting a diet to just to see, you know, they could go on my website, download some free recipes, start a little food journal. There's lots of things people could do kind of gently ease themselves in. One of my dearest friends kind of laughed and scoffed at me for years until she started to look at her own child and realize, hmm, I think he might have some problems with dairy or gluten. And she took him off of dairy, and within five days, she said, called me to say she had a 75% reduction of her stress level, that she had a child who could focus better, he was happier. I mean, like remarkable things, and that was only removing the dairy. So people can pick a place to start and start gathering some resources and just begin because the results are so remarkable. That's why people like me and other people continue this is because it's, it's you know, it's very, you know, you can demonstrate the proof is in the pudding. Uh, no pun intended. Yes. Well, that, you reminded me of a story a mom from Texas told me that um, another mom had called for some help. And her child, I think, was like 22 years old uh-huh. or so. No, 30. And the doctors, all these years, you know, he, he's living at home, mm-hmm. um, and the doctors are saying, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do. Mm-hmm. Well, um, she read a book out there that's popular right now, mm-hmm. implemented gluten-free diet. One week later, Easter, mm-hmm. she goes into his room and says, He's in bed. He's never uttered a word. Do you want to go with me to church now or in the evening? He sits up, looks her in the eye, states clearly, go in the evening. Mm. Never having spoken. This is an older individual. Mm-hmm. One week after starting gluten-free, casein-free diet. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely hope. Mm-hmm. And we have to shout that from the rooftops. Yeah. Uh, as you've illustrated, mm-hmm. nutrition, food can be medicine, and it's safer than medicine mm-hmm. when you look into the physio- the unique the physiological issues unique to your child. Yeah, thank you. Well, Lisa, thank you for sharing all of this practical, hands-on information that's really foundational. And to our listeners, again, Lisa and I are going to pick up with this conversation and just get into all the mechanics and the how-tos of how to implement uh, this type of special therapeutic diet for your loved one. And uh, Lisa will also soon have her own show on Autism One Radio, so please look for her there. Please Mm -hmm. also remember that the Autism One Conference in Chicago is just two weeks away with 130 speakers. You can look at www.autismone.org. And for questions about this show, please email me at tiaranga at autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.